the main hero of this entire story is the truck driver. My my previous experience in my previous life, I was actually a merchant marina. So I actually identify with the truck driver a lot because I used to be sailing on the high seas for long periods of time all by myself. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh business blog. To learn more, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. Welcome. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast for Lehigh University's College of Business. Today is July 25th, 2023, and we're talking with Seth Mirror about his research on how messaging can help nudge truck drivers to voluntarily reduce truck idling. Dr. Mirror is an assistant professor in decision and technology analytics and teaches courses in supply chain operations management. His research interests are in the domain of behavioral supply chain management, examining factors contributing to sustainability, and developing buyer-supplier relationships. Welcome to the Illuminate podcast, Seth. Thank you so much, Jack. It is a pleasure to be talking to you today. Now, you've talked about how your research is in the context of nudging. I think most of us are familiar with nudging, whether as the nudgers or the nudgies or both. But if you could talk a little bit about what you mean by nudging and how it translates into an academic research question. Sure. So when you think about a nudge, a nudge is pretty much a literal translation will be a push, right? So when we talk about nudging in the academic context, it basically means or implies an initiative or a push to persuade an individual to change behavior, hopefully in a particular preferred direction, right? So an example would be, and one of the most uh, famous studies was uh, pretty much just seeing the behavior of hotel guests and whether they would be nudged into recycling their bath towels. Well, not recycling or reusing their bath towels would be the correct term here, right? And not giving for washing every day. And that would be done simply by putting play cards in the washroom, which would inform them about either the percentage of hotel guests that reuse their bath sheets or also talking about the environmental impact, the water conservation uh, initiatives that the hotel has going on, right? Other examples could mean something like literal in, littering in national parks and so on. But obviously, because we are, I am in the supply chain area and I research organizations and organization behavior. So when I think about nudges, I was interested in seeing whether nudges could be actually utilized to influence employee behavior. Right. And that is how uh, I translated into into a research questions, because when you think about it, a lot of the examples I gave you are in the public setting. These are not employees. Right. So right. will a nudge actually be effective in changing employee behavior? And this also goes into the basis or maybe a, just a little bit, a little bit more elaboration on the nudge. A, a nudge is always non-mandated, right? So it's not compulsory that you have to change behavior and mm -hmm. it should be non-incentivized. Otherwise, it's not really a nudge because you are just paying someone to change behavior. And um, by studying nudges in an organizational setting, my hope was to see if these small messages could actually be powerful enough for the organization or the management to use to change employee behavior. 
And I actually studied it in the trucking context. Yeah, and I was wondering, what was it that sparked your interest in the trucking industry and the issue of truck idling in particular? Yeah, that's a good question. And when I think about it, one of the things that comes to my mind is, first of all, if you think about trucking, it's also known as logistics, right? So logistics is such an important part of the community. And I'll also say that even though it is right in front of us, it has been consistently undervalued. I think had it not been for COVID, people would not have realized the importance of supply chain, right? So well, right. Um, that, that's when all the supply chains started breaking down and people didn't have their goods. And so when you think about trucking or logistics, uh, you have to realize that it is really, really an important aspect for any nation. Just if you take U.S., for example, uh, the American Transport Association statistics or reports show that in 2022, trucking accounted for 72.6% of the nation's freight, right? And we have more than 3.5 million truck drivers that were employed in 2022. So obviously, trucking is an important part, or trucking industry as such is such an important part or critical for the nation's economy. And then when you think about truck idling, well, for one, what is truck idling, right? Truck idling is instances when the engine is on and the truck is not moving. So right. obviously it has a direct implication because on the fuel, right? And so there are obviously fuel costs associated with that. And then obviously there are environmental and social impacts associated with it too. And at the main, uh, if I can say, the main hero of this entire story is the truck driver. And my, my previous experience in my previous life, I was actually a merchant marina. So I have some, I wouldn't say sympathy, but I actually identify with the truck driver a lot because I used to be sailing on the high seas for long periods of time all by myself with my crew. Um, so I did identify with that aspect too. So when I was a PhD student, I had come from the logistics background, so I knew the value of logistics and supply chain. And then when I came to the shore, obviously, translating the maritime experience, I thought it would be really nice to study the trucking industry and their issue of truck idling. A lot of us probably haven't given a lot of thought to truck idling um, other than, you know, seeing the trucks at truck stops across the country as we travel. But you point out in your, your, the study that you're, you've done that it affects what's known as the triple bottom line. Um, if you could talk about the harmful effects that have been linked to truck idling. So I'll just start with explaining or talking a little bit about what the triple bottom line is. And yes. the triple bottom line is a concept which means that a successful organization fulfills three pillars of the triple bottom line, right? So they are the environmental pillar, the social pillar, and the financial or the economic pillar. So no organization in today's world can be successful. So think of it like a Venn diagram where we have three circles, environment, society, and uh, economy. And we would ideally want to be at the center where the three circles intersect, right? So you want your operations to have minimal impact on the on the environment, minimal impact on the society, but have a positive impact on the organization's financial returns. And I think uh, truck idling is a great example of that, right? So I'll just give you some statistics from 2015, which estimated that 11 million tons of carbon dioxide 
are generated annually just from truck idling, right? And not just carbon dioxide. It, there are also other gases like nitrogen oxides, other particulate matter. And this is only in the U.S. So obviously, uh, all these emissions impact climate change and the environment directly. And then you, if you also think about the harmful effects of these gases on the individual health when it comes to respiratory problems and other ailments. So there is a direct environmental and social impact associated with truck idling, which we can reduce if we reduce idling. On the other hand, we are using fuel and fuel is money, right? There are direct fuel costs associated with truck idling. So by reducing idling, we can also save money for an organization. Now, I would like to add here, if you think about truck idling, truck idling is not something that drivers do just because they want to, right? It is directly related with the temperature in the cabin, in the truck cabin, right? So when they are stopped in the rest stops, if they do not idle, then they might not have air conditioning or they might not have the heat during the cold weathers or cooling during the high warm temperatures. So it is a necessity. So it would be wrong to say that idling should be stopped totally. But when it comes to idling, there can be a nice middle way where we would like to minimize idling and do it at a minimum and use and find some other ways to actually reduce the impact on the society and the environment. That seems to be the thing probably complicating resolving this this issue uh, the most, which is that, you know, many, if not uh, most of the technologies that could reduce the harmful effects of truck idling um, are often quite expensive. And, you know, in the views of, you know, I guess a lot of truck trucking companies, particularly um, prohibitively expensive at this point. Can you talk a little about that? Sure. Um so there are actually quite a few alternatives, right? We have devices known as auxiliary power units, right? Which can give, which are a different, uh, which are, a, which provide you a different source for the climate control or temperature, maintaining the temperature in the cabins, right? Again, like you mentioned, there are direct uh, financial repercussions of this, right? So companies are always concerned with the payback times and the duration associated with keeping the trucks in their fleet. There are also cooling technologies and heating technologies. And uh, it's not only the cost. Uh, trucks are also concerned with the, how heavy these devices are, right? Are they easy to implement? What are the maintenance costs, right? What is the battery life? Do they have to keep changing it? So all of these are genuine considerations. Another alternative could be electrified parking spaces, Right. Again, this is not something that is available everywhere where you can have an alternative parking space for the trucks, which will allow the truck drivers to switch up their engines and plug it uh, into the parking spaces for the amenities. Right. So, again, there are definitely a lot of technological, not advances, but technological, uh, but ways in which technology can actually reduce the effects of idling. Right. But again, they are either expensive when you consider their implementation costs or their maintenance costs. So that is definitely why the situation is complicated. Right. If it was right. cheap and it was something that would be easy to do, then I'm sure every company would be doing that. Again, uh, 
in fact, the U.S. Department of Energy is really concerned about this. So they do study a lot of different ways. It could be autonomous vehicles where you do not have a truck driver. So the need to idling is reduced, right? Then there are also alternative fuels which are being studied, be it biodiesel, the use of electricity, hydrogen, natural gases, and so on. So all of these are different ways in which companies are thinking of reducing the impact of truck idling. Of course, the uh, you know the option of vehicles that drive themselves without a truck driver um, raises a whole other set of, of issues, particularly for you know the truck drivers. Um, as you said, there were three point five million, I think it was, truck drivers in the U.S. in twenty twenty two. Yeah, you know the impact of that would be huge as well. So, and that that, that I, just I, kind of outlines. You know, the difficulty in this, uh, finding something that works. Absolutely. Yes, that is uh, absolutely true. And and also um, the need to find something that, that can make a difference, which gets us kind of to the crux of your study, which was looking at how different messaging approaches that trucking companies use with their drivers um, may help them voluntarily reduce truck idling. So if you could start by explaining what social norms and personal norms are within the context of nudging and how the two differ and, and how they play into um, this messaging. Definitely. Um, so when you think about nudging, nudging can be implemented in many ways. And the way that we were actually going about it in our study was by using messages and uh, definitely uh, specifically using messages which were framed or scripted using normative behavior. And when I say normative behavior, I mean social norms and personal norms. Now, um, I'll just elaborate a little bit about what social norms are, and then I'll talk about personal norms. So when you think about social norms, social norms are general beliefs about how somebody should behave in a group or society. And if you think about it, people are concerned about how they are perceived in a society, right? You are, we are always worried about how others perceive us. So when it is known to us what others are thinking about us or what others think about a particular behavior, it is likely that we'll change ourselves to adapt to the behavior. Now, social norms, again, are of two types. The first is descriptive, which is basically referring to what is a behavior that is observed. And um, an example would be just by giving a statistic, right? So by saying 80% of the drivers reduce truck idling, or if I go back to the example of recycling towels at a hotel, 90% of the guests at this hotel prefer to reuse their towels. So it's descriptive because it gives you a definite number of the number of people in the society who think in a particular way. The other type of social norm is injunctive, which talks about behaviors that ought to be done or behaviors that are approved or looked upon highly in the society, right? So, and this can be implemented just by telling them, we think that reducing idling is a good way to save the environment. We think reducing idling is a good way to help the organization. So it shows approval for a particular behavior. So these kind of messages actually use the beliefs about a person and make it salient to the individual, right? In my case, make the idling behavior salient to the truck driver and hope that they will reduce idling. 
The other kind of norm is personal norm, which if you think about it, every person has their own value system within themselves, right? Their own beliefs, what they think is right or wrong. And by showing them a message, we might evoke on their personal values and try to reduce idling, right? So these messages will just talk about how if you minimize idling, you show that you care of our environment, right? So that's the example. By minimizing idling, you show that you care about the environment. By minimizing idling, you show that you care about cutting fuel costs. So these are two ways in which a message can be scripted to evoke the personal norms, right? So when you think about social norms, classified into two, descriptive and injunctive, and then we have personal norms, which are by itself. That was how we actually went about our study. What were the hypotheses, the the kind of ideas you had in mind when you set out to to do the study? And what was the methodology that you used to set up the experiment? Just going back into the theory that I was talking about. So mm-hmm. social norms are of two types, right? So we have the injunctive and the descriptive. And so The descriptive norm is simply informing our truck drivers about the percentage of truck drivers in a fleet, right, who average less than idle. So that was one hypothesis, the descriptive norm idling or hypothesis by itself. And then we have the injunctive hypothesis. Now, the injunctive hypothesis shows approval for a behavior. Now, you can show approval for a behavior to help the environment or show approval to reduce idling to cut fuel cost. So the injunctive messages were of two types, injunctive environment and injunctive organization. And then we have the personal norms, which again can evoke individual beliefs to help the environment or help the organization. So in total, we had five different kinds of messages that were sent out. So descriptive, injunctive environment, injunctive organizational, personal environment, and personal organization. And we were trying to see if these messages actually were successful in nudging truck drivers to reduce idling voluntarily. Now, voluntarily is the critical word here. Right. And to actually study it, we used a field experiment, right? So we worked with a public company who had uh, more than 1,200 trucks, and they agreed to work with us. And so we allotted around 600 trucks into six treatments. We kept 100 of them as a control group. So this was a group where no messages were sent out. And we compared the behavior of the idling behavior of the five treatment groups with the control group to see if over a 13-week duration, when the messages were sent out, the drivers which actually reduced idling. We had total... 26 weeks of data, right? Um, So we had 13 pre-intervention weeks and the 13 weeks of intervention for around 600 trucks broken up into six groups. And uh, so what we did in the study is every Thursday, I would go to the fleet manager's office. And I'll have to say, I'm really grateful for the company that they allowed us to study this phenomenon. And... uh, we would send out a message to the truck drivers. And we did that every Thursday for 13 weeks. And then we would get the weekly idling summary of each truck that we used to actually study whether this was successful or not. The main question, 
what were your findings? Which of the messaging that you were testing proved effective and were there any that did not? Surprisingly, well, let's start with the sad part. If you think about it overall, overall we found that in the 13-week duration, if you think about it, it would seem like there was no effect of idling, of uh, no effect of nudging to reduce idling. But then when we went into the data, what we found that there was actually an effect. We found that initially in the first four weeks, truck drivers in the injunctive environment and in the descriptive group, they reduced idling, right? So they reduced idling compared to the control group, but then gradually they reverted back to their old behavior as they received the same message over and over again. And um, this effect was found for the injunctive environment for both kinds of trucks. We had trucks which were fitted with APUs and also trucks which did not have APUs. So we found the effect for injunctive environment messaging for both the trucks. The descriptive uh, message, we found that it was significant to reduce idling in the initial duration for the non-APU trucks. So overall, if I think about it, then what our study showed that messages can be effective, but the efficacy of messages is reduced when the same individual receives the message over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I think this is important when you think about it in an organizational context, right? Because messages have been effective where it's in the public setting, for example, organ donation. I can only donate my organ once. It's not like I have to keep or I will keep on seeing the message and I have to decide every day. But for an employee who is working for an organization, there is a lethargy or what we term as a fading effect that we see, right? So the effect of the message slowly fades away or the message of the nudge slowly fades away. And we found that after a particular point, there was no particular benefit to send the same message. And so it does have some interesting implications if you think about it, right? When you think about the trucking industry, uh, first of all, it is equally important to know what should not be done, right? So you should not keep sending the same message over and over again. After the first few times, the efficiency is lost. And this is important to think when you think about how difficult or how different interventions are framed and it is a time-consuming effort. So organizations have to leverage messaging for short duration projects. And again, it is only the social norms, the incentive and descriptive norms that we found to be effective for the truck drivers. It wasn't the personal norms. So this, again, I thought was pretty important to understand. Even between the two social norms, injunctive environment norm, was more effective. And then finally, when I think about it, I think messages can also be effective in industries where we have temporary workers, right? So it's not the same worker who receives the message. So if you think about industries like agriculture or warehousing, where you have different uh, workers who come across the messages, then it is likely that nudging can be effective. Okay, now in terms of, and, and you talked about this up front, that you know the companies obviously are looking for a way to uh, reduce fuel costs as well as the other harmful effects um, by reducing idling. And did your study find any cost savings as a result from the messaging? 
Yeah, so there are many savings. Uh, there are many studies which talk about the fuel saved, right? The fuel saved by reducing idling. Now, we took a conservative. So in the study, we found that the idling reduction could be as much as two to three percent, but we took a conservative number of one and a half percent just for calculations. And even if we show that this reduction is linked with saving 0.9 gallons of fuel every week for a fleet of 1200 trucks, that is equivalent to savings of $15,000, right? Or uh, 40 which is amounting, which is coming from nearly 43,000 gallons of fuel. And this is also directly linked to around 4.2 metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions. So there are definitely fuel savings and also environmental benefits associated with uh, just nudging drivers, maybe just over the summertime when they are more likely to uh, increase idling because of the temperatures. What are some of the potential solutions? And we, we talked about this up front, but, you know, in, in light of looking at the um, the impact that messaging can have, you know, what, what are some of the potential solutions that could reduce or, you know, someday hopefully eliminate our reliance on trucks burning fuel while idling um, just to basically keep their drivers safe? Again, I think this is a tricky question. I would like to add that idling is related with driver comfort, right? So it would be yeah. wrong to say that truck drivers should not idle, right? Everybody is a human. Everybody has a right to live. Truck drivers are a very, very important part of the nation's economy. And so idling is just an operational necessity, if I can put it that way. And so when you think about it, I think that it has to be alternative fuel sources, right? So when you think about alternative fuel sources, making APUs or auxiliary power units mandatory, which can actually help in reducing idling, but at the same time, maintain comfortable levels for the truck drivers. Uh, I did talk about autonomous vehicles initially, but again, that's a whole different topic, which will require a different podcast about the implications <laughs> of autonomous vehicles and right. how it can result in, you know, job losses around uh, America. But then also we have to realize that there's a truck driver shortage going on. So there are many different dynamics at play and the situation is much more critical than uh, we think. Now, at, at what point do the, the social, environmental, and economic impacts, you know, what, what was referred to as the triple bottom line, um, outweigh the additional costs of the trucking industry to install, you know, some of these alternative methods of heating and cooling trucks? And what might drive that to actually happen? Well, honestly, I would think that the social and environmental pillars are sometimes at loggerheads with the environmental pillar, right? So I think there has to be a big public policy initiative and governments have to realize that without their support for the transportation industry, it is really difficult because if you think about it, the transportation industry also has to survive, right? So they do need to make money. And so it would be wrong to say 
that hey move goods from point a to part b point a to point b but then you should not have an impact on negative impact on the environment or society we will not help you so i think there has to be a time when and governments at least the us government is taking a lot of steps for that, right? So they have different departments which looks at, for example, alternative fuel sources. And they have studies which are going on which talk about the benefits of that. Uh, they have studies which talk about sustainable transportation and there are different research. There is a bioenergy office, hydrogen and fuel office. There's a vehicle technology office, right? So all of them are thinking of ways for have clean energy in America, right? So they are pretty much advancing sustainable transportation, if I can talk about that, right? So right. the whole idea being that it will obviously reduce cost for fuels and vehicles, and then also reduce carbon emissions. So that has to be a main goal. And I think it has to be a public policy initiative in many ways. And uh, again, I would say, if you think about climate change, it is a genuine concern, right? Think about the unusual heat waves that a lot of countries have been facing in the last few years. So I think with time, definitely it will become mandatory. And hopefully by then the technology will also have advanced that maybe hopefully we won't have to think about it and we'll have overcome that. But it's almost always the social and environmental benefits at loggerheads with the environmental impact uh, that creates this tension. Now we've talked about a lot of the factors related to to your research. Um, is there anything we haven't discussed that you think our listeners should know? Well, I've been the one thing, and I think I did mention it also. Uh, so my research falls into the category of behavioral research, where we think about how individuals respond, right? And so I think it is important to understand the human element in any operation. Um, and as you think about how the world is changing, that has to be something that will drive how operations impact societies and the triple bottom line, right? So uh, earlier we would be concerned with how organizations impact societies, and that is definitely still true. But at the the crust of the story is that it is actually people or individuals who run the organizations. And they could be the operational managers, the transportation people, the warehousing people. And so it is going to be really, really important to understand how every small piece of the supply chain links and actually impacts the triple bottom line. Okay, I think we have enough time left to, to talk about one more thing, which you had mentioned in passing up uh, toward the beginning of our discussion, and that was your previous employment history working on oil tankers. And I'm wondering about what your experiences on the high seas um, were like and, and what you learned about life from them. But also, I'd be particularly interested to hear whether those experiences help shape your perspectives and your academic research now. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. But yeah, um, <laughs> I worked for nearly 10 years. I started off as a cadet and I worked my way up towards a second officer. I had my chief mate's license, which is one level below the uh, the captain when I decided to 
switch gears and go for my MBA. And then I landed up in an academic position here. So um, I think, uh, well, there are many different things that I learned, right? Uh, while on board. And I think if I think of it from an organizational perspective, I realized the importance of individuals and actually the workers and how important they are, even though so many times they are away from the organization. So if you think about it, we were like a crew of 26, 27 people who were sailing around the world for six months at a time. And obviously the crew changes, we form new relationships. And so it is really, really important for companies to encourage and motivate and be there for the employees. It is really important. Um, I think that is something, uh, I'm talking a little bit of the management principles here, but mm -hmm. it is, uh, I, I understand and that was also maybe one of the reasons I quit because I thought that the companies did not care about us at that point or and i was just tired about the difference because uh, of uh, i wouldn't say difference in opinion but how i felt that i was not being valued as a employee in my personal experiences but it was also the personal personal need i would say right to just make sure that i could go out and be there for my friends and family and I think that did bring about an appreciation of all the people who work in logistics. If you think about all the people who are mariners, who are truck drivers, who are railroad drivers, who stay away from their families, who are giving away family time, who are working on holidays and weekends, trying to transport goods so that the end consumer receives it. There is definitely an underappreciation for these people, right? Uh, uh, we have, it, and it is really important. Like I worked on tankers, we would take oil from one nation, from an oil producing nation to another nation, which did not have any source of oil. So obviously it brings about this appreciation for supply chain and logistics. But at the other time, on the other hand, it also shows that there is a, there is a need to understand the importance of the manager or the person who's actually behind the logistics system, right? Who is actually mm -hmm. working it. And I feel that I felt undervalued at the time. And I think slowly that is changing now. And it could be something as easy as, as simple as the truck driver who is delivering the, the goods to you, right? The Amazon truck driver who is coming and giving you the goods. You have to realize that it is really not an easy job driving around the city, delivering goods, working on Sundays, working in the snow, working in the ice. We are angry because we don't re receive a package. We take out the frustrations. We blame the truck drivers and the logistics people. But there are many things that happen. There's weather. So just to give an example, uh, on the oil tankers in the time that I did decide to quit, piracy was up very, very rampant in Somalia, right? So mm. ships were being chased by pirates. I've I've had, uh, I have myself experienced being chased by pirates. Luckily, nobody succeeded, we would say, right? But the, there, are ships, there are actually hazards that this logistics people actually face that many people do not think about, right? So mm -hmm. there is definitely... Uh, and I would say that it did influence my research also. If you think about it, all my research is behavioral. So I like to study ways to influence behavior. I've, uh, I've heard about, luckily I haven't seen, but uh, 
people dying on both ships, right? And while on the job, right? And it was just because the operations were not done well. Uh, in this particular case, somebody went down a tank and they succumbed to carbon monoxide or some gas that was being emitted from the fuel. At the end, the logistics personnel is also a human being and they have and not just companies, but even the consumers, everybody has to realize that there's actually a human element attached to every operation. And that operation is actually impacting their daily life. So there has to be a way to actually appreciate and acknowledge the importance of that. And uh, that's what I would like. That's what I am studying in my research. Well, I think we're out of time. Seth, it's been most interesting. And I must say, I believe this is the first time I've interviewed a faculty member, a doctorate who has been chased by pirates. So thank you for bringing your perspectives uh, onto the Illuminate podcast today. I appreciate you taking out time for me, Jack. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I'd like to once again thank Seth Muir for being with us on Illuminate today. His research has been published in the International Journal of Physical Distribution and Logistics Management, the Journal of Supply Chain Management, and other leading journals, and is an example of how Lehigh College of Business faculty and students are creating new knowledge in the field of data and technology analytics. This podcast is brought to you by Illuminate, the Lehigh Business blog. To hear more podcasts featuring Lehigh Business thought leaders, please visit us at business.lehigh.edu slash news. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Lehigh Business. I'm Jack Croft, host of the Illuminate podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>